Welcome to another episode of Big Girl Panties. This is Jennifer Hodugatz. Yesterday, I was driving on my way to see a client. The drive typically takes about 45 minutes from my house to hers. I love driving. It's usually the only time I have to reflect on life, and I really choose to have the best time. I put on my Spotify playlist to feel good songs and I jam out. Volume is up, and I'm singing like a mad woman. And every once in a while, I get caught by a fellow commuter who smiles or giggles at the dance party going on in my car. Yesterday was a little different. As I was driving, I realized I hadn't had a once normal panic attack in over a year. You see, it all started when I was about 20. I had been at a house party in Philadelphia. It was a swanky place on the second floor of an apartment building in Old Town Philly with interesting masks on the walls, little trinkets from places far away. You could tell the owner had been places and seen things that I could only dream of experiencing at the time. There was about 25 people there, drinking, laughing. They came from all walks of life. I had only known one person there. I started mingling, meeting, and talking to people while drinking my first glass of wine. About halfway through my glass, I started getting nauseous and feeling like I had to go to the bathroom. I couldn't be drunk on that little, but slowly I started getting strange feelings in my entire body. My palms started to sweat. I was woozy. My hands felt shaky. My mind started racing about the situation and I ran to the bathroom and sat on the cold tile floor. I wanted to be near the toilet in case I lost it from either end. The coolness of the tiles helped my nausea, but not the questions I had been cycling over in my head. What was happening to me? Where did that come from? Why is it happening? Did somebody put something in my drink? I thought I was going to die on a stranger's tile floor in a bathroom with a locked door. Who would find me? To say that it sucked was an understatement. After several knocks at the bathroom door to see if I was okay, I mustered enough strength to get up and answered softly, saying I needed to go. I must have looked like a wrestler at the end of a match. My hair was a mess, my makeup ruined from all the sweat pouring down my face. But at that point, it was like childbirth. I could care less about what I looked like or what people thought. I just needed it to end. My friend had an apartment downstairs. I remember looking down the stairwell, not sure how I was going to make it. It was a scene out of a movie where the stairs kept getting longer and longer. So eventually, I took one step at a time like a two-year-old. It felt like forever to get to the bottom. It took me two hours of breathing taking a bath, sitting on the toilet, wrapped in blankets and visualizations of rolling meadows with warm breezes for the roller coaster to finally come to an end. It was a fluke of an incident. Life went on as normal, and little did I know I had just had my first panic attack. The years went by, I moved to Woodside, Queens in New York City in a one-bedroom apartment on the sixth floor of a six-story building with my boyfriend, Lee. Woodside was a predominantly Irish neighborhood with more bars than anything else. 
So many times I'd woken up at three o'clock in the morning to hear drunken brawls right outside my bedroom window. It was better than Monday night boxing. Life was great. I was a dance teacher, in love, yada yada. I mean, this was covered in my other podcast. But one early Tuesday morning, my phone started to ring incessantly. Now, I love my sleep. But after the fifth time of back-to-back ringing of my phone, I knew something had to be wrong. I groggily answered the phone. Uh, hello? Jen, why aren't you answering your phone? It was my aunt frantically muttering out words that I couldn't comprehend until I heard. Twin towers. Hit by a plane. Turn on your TV. I quickly grabbed the remote. This, Justin, you are looking at obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. Every station I turned to had different accounts of what it could be. I was in total disbelief until I turned to look outside my bedroom window and saw the same scene in living color that was on the news. My first thought was that this was a terrible accident. I remembered the bombing of the World Trade Center back in February of 93, but this wasn't that. It was a plane crash, like the one at the Empire State Building in 1943. I mean, that was an accident, but we were so far advanced with GPS and planes being preset for their courses. How could this happen? This is I just was uh, standing on the uh, uh, vice president of finance. Lee and I were in that building three days prior at Windows on the World. It was a beautiful restaurant and event space on the 106th and 107th floor in Tower One. It was hailed as the greatest bar on earth, and for the views and atmosphere, it was. There were wraparound windows with the most spectacular view of Manhattan. Every Saturday, they had swing dancing with a live jazz band. The semicircular stage was lit on a slightly lifted platform, and the dance floor was huge and crowded by swing dancers, from the advanced to the tourists trying to pick up the steps. We had crashed a private party that night after exhausting ourselves with dancing. I remember Lee saying that we were there for the Dr. Feinstein party. He had looked at the hostess's list of private parties going on that night. At this point, Lee had woken up and was getting dressed, and I followed suit. The only thing I could think of was to get a better view. We quickly ran up to Tar Beach. Tar Beach is what New Yorkers call the roof. Most of the roofs in New York City are flat and tarred. We would go up there to sunbathe during the summer on our fold-out lounge chairs or have parties at night. It was far from an actual beach, but it did the job in a pinch. To get to Tar Beach, we just walked up one flight. As soon as we opened the door, we had a straight shot of the horror. As I looked around, you could see the roofs of other buildings start to gain onlookers. It was a bright and sunny, beautiful Tuesday. Far too beautiful to be so horrific. A couple of minutes of soaking in what was happening, we saw the second plane, which looked like a small bird from the distance we were looking at veer right into Tower 2, and a fireball erupt turning into billows of smoke. The speculations of the first plane disappeared immediately. We knew what this was. It was clear that these were no accidents. My only thought? The world is ending.
Not a word was spoken for the next few minutes. The only sounds you heard were wails and sobs from the now-crowded neighboring tar beaches. I had not shed a tear until I decided to run back downstairs to my apartment to grab my bottle of tequila, my cell phone, and a handheld radio. When I walked through my door, I began sobbing uncontrollably. Through my tears and gasps of breath, I found what I needed and returned to the beach. At this point, we could see that they had halted the subways. The 7 subway line was next to our apartment building, and you could see the train stopped on its elevated tracks. I couldn't imagine what it was like to be a passenger on that subway, stuck, elevated, not knowing what the hell was going on. I tried calling my family, but the lines were dead. We're sorry. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again. We turned on the radio to hear the nation's reports of what was happening. Not soon after, a breaking news report came in. What could be more breaking than the towers being hit? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We're looking at a uh, live picture from Washington, and there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. It what next? That there has been another God, please, if I die, make it quick and painless. Did I tell everyone I love them? I wonder if a bomb is coming next. We're not safe anywhere. There is smoke in the air over the Pentagon. We don't know whether this is the result of a bomb. There we were on the roof of our building, in shock, helpless, listening and watching and drinking straight out of our bottle of tequila. At this point, the towers looked bent, like they would break in half. If they did, all the surrounding neighborhoods would be demolished. The people in those buildings must be terrified. I mean, how many were gone? And just as I uttered those words, Tower 2 started falling. It was surreal to watch such a staple of the New York City skyline go down. It looked as if it just dropped slowly out of the horizon like the sunset. Tower 1 still holding on like an orphan twin. And 29 minutes later, it too fell. Eventually, we made our way back to the apartment in silence and remained that way, as we were just glued to the TV. There was an eerie silence to the city. No cars honking, no loud music, no people talking loudly or trucks rumbling by. It was just a void. Many of my friends in the armed forces and the guard were called in from our building. Because the bridges and tunnels were shut down, many of them had to walk to the site. Once open later that evening, my friend and I decided to go in to see if there was something we could do. I've never seen Manhattan so bereft of movement. The bars were packed and we decided to get a drink, seeing that there was nothing we could do and we couldn't even get anywhere near downtown. It was impossible. As we sat down... A man covered in ash walked in, asking if anyone has seen his friend. He was mumbling and looked like a zombie. He was still in shock, and the more that you walked around Manhattan, the more people you saw in the exact same ash uniform, still looking for their loved ones. We left understanding there was nothing we could do and went to the Brooklyn Promenade. The promenade overlooks downtown and the World Trade Center site. It was crowded with people recounting their experiences of the day as we watched the smoke rising up from the now empty portion of the skyline. 
Reports of bombs and concurrent evacuations in the Empire State Building and Penn Station were making their way into conversation. So many talked about being in the building the day before, or the people they couldn't find or haven't heard from, or the first responders they knew that haven't come back yet. One woman talked about how she called out of work that morning and how she would have been in the building had she gone in. But all of us knew that this was the end of an era in American history where we felt untouched by war and devastation. How our feelings of safety because we were living in America was now compromised. I returned home to more news reports about the attacks and Bush addressing the nation. Good evening. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The wind had shifted and was now pushing the toxic smoke from the site in our direction. The apartment had a thick, smoky haze inside of it, even though all of the windows were closed. It smelled metallic, like burning wires. It was bitter and it stung your eyes. We couldn't escape the smell or the thought of what the smells carried with them. Yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world. Thank you. Good night. And God bless America. Over the next few weeks, several vigils were held and fundraisers created. Life seemed to get on with it, although it was never the same. Two months after the attack, I was on the subway to work. At one point, the subway would go underground for quite some time as it went under the East River, which is not really a river, but separates Queens and Long Island from the island of Manhattan. Then suddenly the air was sucked out of the train. Shaking ensued, backed by uncontrollable sweating and my heart feeling as if it would pound out of my chest onto the filthy floor. Nausea and the feeling of losing my bowels was screaming at me, and it was as if my soul had left its body. I couldn't understand what was happening to me. I thought I was going to pass out as the sweat was pouring down my back and out of my hands. I remember my palms sticking to the newspaper I was reading, and at that moment, I thought I was going crazy. It was like watching a bad movie as my mind watched all of this happen. Somehow I made it home, and the next day it happened again at the same point of my daily travels. In the subway, underground, under the East River. I thought that my job was causing too much stress, so I quit the ballroom studio, became an independent teacher, and got a full-time day job at a real estate office. I was okay for about two weeks, until it started happening again. It must be the subway, I thought. Then I drove into work. It still happened. Maybe living in the city was the culprit. So I moved to Long Island and took the Long Island Railroad, and it still happened. I got fired from my job in a matter of weeks for not showing up due to my feeling ill all the time. Shortly after losing my dance students and my job, I stayed at home and couldn't leave my house. Then I couldn't leave my room. Then... I couldn't leave my bed. Lee was upset. The progression had taken a few weeks, and now I couldn't get out of bed. I was in constant fear of having another panic attack. 
so much so it would cause another one. I felt as if I had continuous attacks one after the other for three weeks until I decided to see a psychiatrist. I called several whom were either on vacation or not taking any more patients, or they just plain never called back. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Feeling helpless and wanting it to end, I locked myself in the bathroom. How was I going to do this? I mean, swallowing pills seemed the best way to go out. I would fall asleep and never wake. The pain and anguish would disappear, and if it would be like all the other crossing over recounts that I've heard, I would be bathed in white, loving light, welcomed by loved ones. It sounded like heaven to me, and the only answer. I had no fears surrounding my thoughts of leaving this place I had spent 24 years living in. With the bottle in hand and sitting on the toilet, a light turned on inside me. I soon realized what I was thinking and that I had no fear, and that scared me. The fantasy was close to being a reality. I could do it and make it end, but I could end it at any moment that I chose when I chose it. So I decided just to have one more minute Just one more minute to soak in the colors and the sounds and the smells of what it was like just to live in that moment. And then then I could decide. When that minute was up, I chose one more. Then another. Knowing that I could bow out when I chose, but for now, I was discovering more things to sense. Just one minute at a time. And those minutes became five, then fifteen, then thirty. The next thing you know, it was an hour. I eventually came out of the bathroom after three hours. I knew more about my bathroom than ever before. How many tiles were in there, what they felt like, what it smelled like in there, the way the toilet paper was rolled, the feeling of air entering my lungs, and how amazing it was that I could draw a breath, the way the water would move around my fingers as it came out of the faucet. I'd been suffering from panic attacks all day, every day for weeks. I thought I was alone and that no one could save me. I thought I was doomed to feel that way for the rest of my life. It took me getting to what could have been the end to get to the beginning of my life, minute by minute. It took me being fully present, minute to minute. Eckhart Tolle, the author of Power of Now, says, Realize deeply that the present moment is all you have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. In that moment of pure surrender is when I learned how being here, in the now, was a gift. It had actually saved my life. It was never the job, the subway, the trains, the house that caused the panic attacks. 9-11 might have been the catalyst, but who knows? This, Justin, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this oh morning. Oh, my goodness. There is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. Our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. 
What I do know is that focusing on the present, the now, and having gratitude about being able to take a breath, to feel what cold tile feels like, to be able to hear a sound or smell a scent is what worked for me. I can't count how many times since I've gone through hard times, but have had gratitude for being able to even have them, for being alive to experience them fully no matter how painful they may be. It's a bonus to learn lessons from those experiences, as far as I'm concerned. They are, after all, just experiences. We really do only have right now. We get to choose how to be in it and what to do with it. As always, I encourage you to get out there, put on your big girl panties, and connect with your world. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook. Until next time, this is Jennifer Ho Dugatz. So, so you think you can tell Heaven from hell Blue skies from pain Can you tell a green field From a cold steel rail A smile from a veil Do you think you